0: Three, two, one,
1: zero, zero. That's our one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Hello and welcome to Circular Business Podcast, a series where we look into circular economy from the Indian context. I'm your host and host, Shri Priya Sridharan. And today, we have Sam Baker from Walk to COP26. In case you're wondering what COP26 is, well, it is the 2021 edition of United Nations Annual Climate Change Conference. It is an event which many believe to be the world's last best chance to get climate change under control. I'd recommend you to listen to episode number 72, of Circular Business Podcast in case you want to freshen up on the basic details and agenda of COP26. Coming back, Walk to COP26 is a project led by Sam Baker, a project that involves six climate-conscious individuals who will walk 500 miles on foot from London to Glasgow, engaging individuals and groups along the way on climate change conversations. They plan to explore their perspectives on the impact of climate change, its urgency, their sense of agency, and their appetite for taking action. Through their journey and events, they aim to create awareness. They wish to trigger the right blend of individuals as well as collaborative action by bringing together stakeholders from national and local governments, businesses, as well as the civil society. Sam has spent almost 30 years with businesses as a consultant. Since 2015, he has focused on the intersection of business, society, and the environment. He is walking to listen, he is walking to learn, with the hope of contributing in a small way to a safer future for his grandson. So come on now, join me in a conversation with Sam Baker. Hey, Sam. Hey, Sherry welcome to circular business podcast how are you
0: yeah no very good very good and shri great to be here um thank you very much for hosting us on on your podcast
1: it's my pleasure it's my pleasure your uh, your mission is just so compelling that i had to reach out to you and uh, i wanted to know what's what the story is all about so assam uh, please tell us why this year is considered to be crucial for decisions on climate action. I mean, what makes COP26 stand out when compared to other climate conferences?
0: Yeah, so I think it's, it's not really this year necessarily, it's actually this decade. And obviously we hoped that this decade was gonna start properly in 2020. Um, you know, with the pandemic, um, obviously COP26 actually got postponed. And the reason the decade is so important really follows on from the Paris Agreement. So to achieve, you know, well below two degrees of warming by 2050, um, we really need to half emissions in this decade.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and you know, getting that, um, you know, the pathway to, to emissions is really important. So we've got to make progress this decade. And and I think, um, you know, we were hoping, obviously, pre-pandemic perhaps, to have a strong COP, um, to get the nationally defined contributions. So this is five years post Paris. So this was an opportunity or indeed a, a an imperative for all the contributing nations to upgrade their nationally defined contributions. So their targets effectively for keeping within the Paris Agreement. And so we were hoping for that last year. Obviously, it didn't happen. It's been postponed to this year. And yes, there's been some progress. Um, yes, there's been some um, limited but positive impact on emissions through the pandemic and to the change in behaviours that we've seen. But none of this feels um, like a really solid foundation to the to the challenge of halving those emissions this decade. So it feels like this year, you know, we've really got to say, OK, well, we've got our arms around the pandemic. Many of us are still suffering, but at least it's it's more of a known quantity. Yeah, we've got to work with it now. We can't just divert all focus. To, to, to quash in the pandemic, we've got to work with it. So we've got to go back to the really, really important priorities, and of course, one of them right at the top of the list is climate change and reducing emissions. So I think now, with that understanding, um, you know, we're now a year late. Um, you know, we've seen increases in emissions, or certainly a, a bounce back post the pandemic sort of dip. Um, we, what we need this year is then a really strong set of national commitments, and then we need the sort of Rules whereby those then commit those those commitments get enshrined, they get monitored, and they work cohesively across nation states. And I think it starts at the top. But I would also say that that over the last two years we've seen a massive rise in the in, in the recognition that this is crucially important to other stakeholder groups. For instance, business, but also communities, local authorities, local policymakers. And I think as a result of that, COP is no longer sort of, you know, a UN-centric, you know, policy enclave, which is, is difficult for everybody to participate in, but perhaps it's more symbolic of this need to step forward. And so I think it's attracted a lot of interest from business and a lot of interest from all other walks of, of life and different stakeholders and communities. So it's really the fact that it's the point in time which is so critical, but of course also COP itself is you know, the authority really on our way forward because it is all the United Nations, nation-states. And as a result of that, you know, the the tone set by those nation-states is critically important. Everybody can con- contribute. Everybody needs to contribute. But we do, of course, need strong national policy as a foundation for moving forward against this huge challenge that we face.
1: Wow. that uh, I think you've put it so well. And I, I'm sure a lot of us now understand it a little better because information around cop26 is so scattered around across platforms and it even for me initially I, I just found it really difficult like how does a common person like a lay person understand what is really going to happen out of this 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 whole conference and how it can really scale up the impact so that uh, that brings me to my second question of your project which is Walk to COP26. A when I went through your website, the plan of action is seems really physically grueling because you guys are gonna walk 500 miles. Like, that makes it for 20 miles per day. That's that's fascinating. So what what inspired you to take this specific action of walking from London to Glasgow for 26 days and um, how how did this idea germinate
0: um so so i think a couple of things so my background is business um i've you know spent decades of business and i've spent you know a relatively short amount of time recently sort of two to three years thinking about climate change in business and prior to that thinking more broadly about the sort of purpose of business and the role in society that business plays so that's my backdrop and i think part of that is an understanding that, of course, you know, business has a huge role to play for many, many different reasons. Um, but it is a systemic challenge, and so, of course, business—a business—cannot operate on its own. It's got to, co- got to operate with its business partners, with the communities it serves and interacts with, but also with government and government policy. Um, and I think that that bits of business are typically reasonably good at that. You might have a CSR department talking about talking with community. You might have a you know communications and policy unit talking with the government. But actually, you know, the level of collaboration and interaction required to address climate change needs a massive step forward in terms of sort of broader collaboration by business, but also with those other stakeholder groups. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think
0: sort of my previous work, I guess, has really sort of brought it home to me that that conversation needs to be richer, more engaging, more interdependent, more involved, more collaborative. And I suppose part of the walk was really just to, if we put the physical thing to one side, I think what I wanted to do was to have some sort of initiative, which I guess really did two things. One was to bring me in contact with or or give a voice perhaps to people who aren't necessarily in the climate tent. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was thinking, how can I get outside of my own tent, you know, which is sort of climate and business, and actually begin to, to speak to people from all different sort of walks of life with, you know, playing different roles, um you know what do they really think about climate change how important is it to them do they have agency how are they you know how are they thinking about this going forward so i think that was one desire um and the the second that was perhaps slightly more personal of course you can read surveys and get some sort of inference from that but it was a personal desire really to interact and hear the stories from people on the street effectively with different roles people like you and i but also people you know who whatever um you know, work in a fish and chip shop or, you know, pull pints in a pub or things that I don't do at the moment, maybe I used to, but, you know, speak to them and see whether or not it's important to them. So I think that was one thing. The second thing was then a desire to bring together the stakeholders I've talked about to get them to talk to each other, you know, in a small way. I mean, this is a modest undertaking, but just get people through events to come together as local authorities, as businesses, as climate action groups, as citizens to discuss the broader challenges together, what they think about them and what they're going to do going forward. So I wanted to do those two things. I thought those two things were quite important. And if I could make a small contribution, that would be great. Um and then the mechanism of a walk was um was very attractive because you know you step out effectively of your daily Zoom calls and your you know your Outlook diary and you know your massive to-do list of doing XY and Z and administrative tasks. And, and mm-hmm. really it's an opportunity I guess to um, first of all, to bump into lots of different people. Second, to have those events I talked about in different parts of the country. Um, and then, of course, it was also the idea that that it's actually um, quite an exciting sense of progression. You know, you're moving from London up to Glasgow. You know, we're putting kilometres on the clock. And so I hope we'll get that sense of progression. We can c- communicate that sense of progression together with the stories we hear about how people are acting against climate change. And hopefully that becomes, you know, a... a an interesting contribution to um, the level of engagement that people both do have feel and want going mm-hmm. forward. So that was the idea. And, and, you know, it isn't climbing Everest. It is only a walk, but yes, you know, we've all been training because, you know, what you want to avoid obviously is the blisters and the shoes that don't fit. And, you know, it doesn't need a level of fitness, but it's not a, it's not the most uh, demanding of physical tasks, but I think it's, an, it's demanding enough to you know require the training the application and was also demanding enough I hope to catch people's attention as well
1: interesting I'm curious Like, was there some project that gave you this inspiration to do it in the format of a walk did you see such a project somewhere like a walk to some 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 social impact uh, challenge that may have happened before that inspired you to do this
0: yeah, I mean, you know, obviously there are lots of, you know, cycles and jumping and sprints uh-huh. and runs and whatever. But I did, I used to work with a colleague and he walked twice to Jerusalem from London. Ooh, and okay. I can't quite remember why he did it, but he did. And <laughs> I think, you know, part of his, his narrative around that, you know, he wasn't supported by anything. He He didn't have a support car. He carried his own baggage. And I think part of it was the... I guess, the immersion in in a a very different, literally, walk of life. And, Uh you know, by doing that, you give yourself space and time to reflect and think and to interact in a way that it's very difficult to emulate, I think, through a Zoom call, a face-to-face business meeting or anything else. And so I think that the – that, you know, that was really, I guess, in the back of my mind, Um, yeah, and, you know, there are of course there are other walkers right and so one of the things that we're doing is trying to track the other cycles runs walks whatever
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what we'd like to do is is in Glasgow when we arrive the second day after we arrive is actually bring everybody together in a meeting so we're just beginning to um set that up and identify all the other people um you know doing some form of journey to cop so it's not unique um it's I guess it's just a, a A relatively simple mechanism, um, and it fits what we're trying to do in in terms of engaging with a variety of different people and communities. To my shame, I know very little about England north of London, and and so and you know, let alone Scotland. And so, you know, that in itself is an opportunity Mm
1: -hmm. just to
0: reflect on regional differences. You know, people are impacted in different ways. We're going to Morecambe, Morecambe's on the coast. Um, you know, there is concern around, um, you know, coastal erosion and um, and rising rising seas. Um,
1: yeah. It's
0: also some fascinating wind farms and renewables investment, et cetera. And so, you know, each of the places we're going, you know, have their own sort of local interaction with the mm-hmm. climate change question, either from a risk perspective or because they're part of the solution as well.
1: Interesting you have said that you plan to have 500 conversations along the way. I'm sure there might be much more than that because you guys are walking till Glasgow. Have you planned your route based on the businesses that might come along the way or um, it's going to be a surprise?
0: (laughs) So we've, we have planned our routes really as the most sort of feasible you know you start with a straight line and it's 400 Mm -hmm. miles and you then we got an organization called slow ways who Uh are trying to promote walking as an alternative to you know other forms of transport so they work with us to actually get then a more walkable route up to Glasgow and it went up from 400 to 510 miles Um, so the route is planned on that basis but the so the interactions the face-to-face one-to-one interactions are us bumping into people, asking people to talk to us, you know, dog walkers, you know, people in hotels, whatever, whoever we encounter on Mm -hmm. the way up. And the structure of those conversations are are similar to the questionnaire that we have on our website. And and so the structure of that is really asking people, you know, how they experience climate change at the moment. Does it have any impact on them, on their mental health, on their, you know, insurance, on their property, on their schooling, whatever else. The second is, is asking about the extent to which they feel this is an emergency or there is urgency attached. So is it something we have to do now? Do they feel any need to, for either themselves or us all or, or you know, the governments to actually act now? And then the third mm-hmm. is asking them about their own personal belief that they can make a difference. Um, so, do they feel empowered to make a difference, or do they feel it's somebody else's issue or challenge? And then the final one is really questioning about do they intend to make any change in behavior or choice or action going forward so that's that's how we're trying to structure those conversations, and as I say that's with you know it could be i mean the ones I've had so far, um, you know people don't respond. Um, they respond with multiple hats. So, for instance, I spoke to a taxi driver. He talked about um, being a taxi driver, the purchase of a renewable vehicle that he's got, you know, coming this year. But he also talked about this as a runner and the fact that he doesn't want to see, um, you know, our natural habitat and the environment, you know, destroyed in any shape or form either here or internationally. So he had sort of both personal and professional you know, responses to our questions. And so I'm really looking forward to the, those answers to, to our questions. Um, and we'll capture that as we go. And hopefully that then will build as a story as, as we move up the walk.
1: I see. On, on those two points that you mentioned around intent and how they plan to do it. You know, uh, Sam, between 2014 and now, like 2014 was a year when I I kind of became a little bit more climate conscious. And since then, I've had like so many conversations around uh, climate change, and just the frequency of it has now increased. And one stark observation across all those conversations with diverse set of people, I've noticed that, most of them are inclined towards taking climate action. They are inclined towards leading a environmentally friendly life. However, there is an inertia towards taking action, like just getting started with that. You have a significant industry experience. And like you mentioned before, you you've, you have been wanting to connect business, environment, and kind of create a joint solution a better solution right why do you think there is an inertia to taking action
0: so i think i think it it is contextual and by that i mean it could be country specific or or organization specific or individual specific location specific and i think you know there's lots of reasons i think one is is our understanding of the severity of the issue and i think one concept which on the one hand, you might say is, is pretty obvious. On the other hand, I think is 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 very profound in terms of its implications. Is the one that we've all heard, you know, all of them in the climate tender we've heard, but people outside perhaps haven't. Is the idea that it's it's around the cumulative amount of emissions. So mm. you know, we have the bath, and we put it, you know, the the water's going into the bath. The water is the annual flow. The bath is the stock in the in, the, and and unfortunately that stock, you know exists this year next year and for the foreseeable future and so just by turning off the tap you know which in itself is the most enormous challenge which is effectively net zero yeah doesn't get doesn't reduce the stock Mm -hmm. which is the thing that has you know which is the thing that ultimately has the implication in terms of climate warming so i think you know, because if people think, OK, all it really requires then is two to three years of really severe action, sort of now or sometime in the future, then, you know, you can see that people are like, well, you know, well, why don't we wait until, you know, there's policy and government and people really get serious about it. And then we can just turn it off as opposed to think, oh, my goodness, this is a this is a huge issue that we've all got to contribute to. So I think I think there's a sort of piece around education and education, both at the top level, which is is. What is this? You know, what is the implications of this on the world? And I yeah. think that second point is we're beginning to, you know, with the extreme weather events dotted around the globe over the last two years, we're beginning to understand this isn't a, you know, majority world versus minority world or a global north and south type sort of divide or issue. Mm-hmm. Actually, we're experiencing this throughout on our doorstep, in New York, in, you know, wherever. So, so suddenly now I think it, you know, One bit is understanding the science just at a simplistic level. I mean, I'm not a scientist, so, I don't, you know, at a simplistic level. The second is the impact and the fact it impacts us all. Mm -hmm. And I think the third barrier is that sense of, um, you know, can I really make a difference? You know, because people say, well, hang on, you know, if China don't change, then what's the point in us changing? Or Australia say, you know, we're only X percent of total, you know, global emissions, so what do we have to change? Or an individual goes, oh, well, I'm just a, you know, small little person in you know middle england so so what can i do to really make a difference and so i think that that um challenge comes both from the scale of the impact you can make and what you do to make that impact and so the scale of impact you know part of the story obviously is that we all need to contribute and you know by talking about it by elevating this by by encouraging other people we don't know the scale of the impact that we can have. Shri, you doing this podcast is fantastic. We don't, you know, if people pass the podcast to other people about, you know, any of your topics or issues, the impact on that and the change, that, we don't really know that, the ripple effect. We've got to believe That's in really that fun. and we've got to push that. So, so I think there's one bit to, you know, saying this is for everybody to think about and act on, mm-hmm. yeah? whether it's through yeah. your voice or the way you consume or, you know, your lifestyle or whatever else it might be. But it's not just because that in itself creates a very very small contribution, but it's what it stands for, and then you add that to everybody else—your neighbours, your friends, your family, your employee, you know, fellow employees—and suddenly we can see a movement happening. So I think that mm-hmm. that thing is is a sort of important, you know, belief to get people to act and motivate people to act. And then yeah. the second is to make it easy. You know, so what can people actually do? And so, for instance, you know, in the UK. One of the big challenges is around um, insulating our buildings. We've got very old housing stock on average. Mm-hmm. Um, it costs a very significant amount to insulate it, to make it more energy efficient. And people are sort of thinking, well, you know, even if I sort of understand the issues and I want to make a difference myself, I'm now facing faced with a bill which isn't really going to add value to my house necessarily, which I don't know if I can afford. And so, you know, trying to get to a point where, there are manageable actions that people can actually do um i think is the final blocker to people acting and actually on the Makes um sense. so us, yeah and on us in which is is the the sort of aggregator of actions for um cop twenty six um and and actually on our website if you click on sort of pledge and action it'll take you through to to us in and counters in. Then have a number of different types of actions, so that might be, you know, travel, food, consumption, housing, um, education, use your voice, whatever. Um, Information about what that action is, and it encourages you to subscribe. So that tries to sort of simplify it, I guess, and, and reduce that final threshold, which is what can I actually do that is meaningful?
1: You you gave me a lot of food for thought and I'm actually going to <laughs> apply it in a way, but I really like the point around uh, keeping it simple and just taking action because it has a ripple effect. And I think we all should just be aware and keep reminding ourselves of that before getting bogged down with um, with our actions, right? Because not really everybody is going to acknowledge it at the time when you really need that. So it, it's good for our own uh, consciousness, I want to ask you, what was your moment of epiphany when it comes to um, the day you thought, oh, my God, <laughs> this, this needs work and I need to be the one leading the initiative?
0: Well, I think from, from 2015, I, um, I was lucky enough to have a pretty much a year-long project um, mm-hmm. with an organization called the GSMA, which organizes the mobile operators worldwide. And that was all about purpose. And part of their purpose was their contribution, the sectoral contribution to the Sustainable Development Goals. So the 20, 2015 saw the publication of the SDGs, 2016 yeah. obviously was a Paris Agreement. So at that time, I was, um, you know, we did a lot of work with the SDGs. We thought about um, how to link the impact of a sector all the way through to the individual targets, 169 targets which contribute to the SDGs and the underlying metrics. It's complex work. But you began to see how it was possible, but also important, you know, to align organizations to their role in society, to understand it and to link it. And so for probably for three years, three and a half, four years, I really wanted to tell the SDG story. I wanted to tell the corporate purpose story. How do you link a company to the SDGs and their broad sense of, of, um, yeah, their contribution to society and you know the truth is it's you know the SDGs it's a complex framework you know it is a sort of future strategy for the world as as it's referred to it's very complicated mm-hmm. and not surprisingly it's it's the world um and so companies I think love the idea and the concept, but actually implementing it properly has profound changes on a business on its business model and and its alignment. Profound, you know, obviously it depends on where the business is now and what they're trying to achieve. But generally, it requires a significant change. And that change to some extent is elective. It's a choice. It requires deep reflection on the different SDGs and what you want to do. And I think that the alignment to um, a commercial model, and particular, a short-term co- commercial model can be challenging. It requires lots and lots of thinking and strategy work. And I think that the So I spent three and a half years trying to do that. And I think through that, I was actually battling. Some people kept saying, you know, climate change is the big one. And, you know, other voices, of course, is, you know, Me Too or, you know, Black Lives Matter or, um, you know, broader diversity. They're all important. Don't leave anybody behind, you know, average wealth. So they're all important. And some people, though, the noise of the climate change lobby, I guess, was coming through stronger and stronger. And I resisted it because I felt, no, you know, we've got to be true to the SDGs. The SDGs don't really prioritize one above the other. But it became, as I educated myself, I guess, then I think two things struck me about climate change. One is, you know, it is a, it is an existential challenge. I mean, that's what, you know, that's what it's been referred to so many times, but it is, and it's upon Mm -hmm. us. It seems to be upon us. And not only that, but it seems that this is a, you know, a whole world, whole system issue and challenge. And it's heading fast in the wrong way. Whereas some of the other things like, you know, average levels of poverty before the pandemic, we were actually doing thanks in part to China. We're doing actually very well against that. Levels of vaccinations, etc. You know, so there were some positive um characteristics around some of the other SDGs also negative like non-communicable diseases but generally there's some positive positive traction better awareness and it was building I think the climate piece is is the piece which it feels like it's going potentially fast in the wrong direction or at least static and static if we remember the bath analogy static means that annual inflow is the same which means the Mm. bath is filling up which is means we're going backwards and so I guess it was the enormity of the issue but also the fact that this is it 's an easier thing for companies to understand what to do about it because it 's a mega trend it 's not an elective choice you can't choose not to engage in this debate anymore if you 're yeah. a big organization you can't stand aside and go, well actually, you know what we 've chosen diversity of our people we 're going to focus on our contribution to world diversity and we 're not going to do anything about climate change you can't do that it 's too important and so you know rather than an elective choice of business it 's really a mega trend and a mega trend that the organization has to respond to in order to thrive in the medium and longer term. So I guess that, you know, and all of that came around, I guess, sort of two to three years ago, when I realized actually there is one amongst equals here across the SDGs. And yes, of course, there's lots of interdependency with all of the others, you know, the just transition, the fact that, you know, some of those climate impacts do hit the, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the least well off. Um, but secondly, yeah, the fact that actually companies can do and need to do something about it without getting confused by sort of, you know, reassessing what it is that they really need to stand for in the world. It's actually whatever you stand for, you've still got to think about climate change and do something. So that was the second thing. And the final thing was realizing the lack of understanding and knowledge, both for SDGs and indeed for climate change. So I walked around. I haven't got it with me, but I walk around with my SDG. Badge, you know, which and, and everybody asks, you know, three, four, five years after the SDGs are published, what does that stand for? And I say the SDGs, and we say what are they? And it's so disappointing, you know, it's so profoundly disappointing. And when we get to climate change, I think we're all significantly more educated than we were. We understand it better. There's so much more media. There's so many more stories than there were, say, two to three years ago. But two to three years ago, we were still, I think, as a layperson as opposed to an expert we were still massively ignorant about climate change, the science, its Mm. impacts, where those impacts fall and what to do about them. And so I'm heartened by the fact that, on the one hand, you know, we have made progress, I think, in terms of broader education. You see the big news channels beginning to put in programmes, sometimes daily programmes about this, people like yourself popularising it. Um, but at the same time, disheartened, because in part, this is because we're seeing the impacts now, yeah. you know, bigger impacts and more broadly felt, which makes it important. So it was really, to answer your question, two to three years ago, I guess, I suddenly began to put climate up above the rest of the SDGs. And so, well, actually, this is the thing to focus on, at least in the short and medium term.
1: Fair point. But on your on your point of um, companies can't really choose. Uh, oh, I'll just focus on one SDG, or uh, I'll I'll pick and choose three SDGs. But Sam, I've seen that people have put that in their sustainability reports. They have instead of saying their performance across seven all the seventeen goals, they're just focusing their reports on few uh, five six. They'll choose six of them and uh, yeah, that's the report. So uh, even I had the same question, like, is it okay to just work on these six? What about the others? Isn't it a tapestry?
0: So, so I think, yes, it is a tapestry in part, but I think when we're talking about the SDGs and the role in society and corporate purpose, then I think it is right to be selective, to be choiceful about Mm. what you focus on. I think that's okay. That's fine. But it's a bit like demographics, climate change. You know, you can see it coming. It's not going to go away. And if those demographics are changing, you've got to think about that, the impacts on your market. You don't necessarily have demographics as mm-hmm. one of your core tenets in your purpose or your strategy, but you certainly can't ignore it. If everybody's getting older, or everybody's getting younger, or or the you know ethnicity and tastes are changing, or whatever else, right? Or, or take another analog, it, it which might be. Um, yeah curiously phrased but analog which is which is you know, digitization so we're saying you know we're all saying actually this is something which you know is a pervasive you know universal sort of change in the way that we use technology in some shape or form it doesn't mean to say that you call that out as your purpose but of course you have to reflect deeply on how that impacts on your business Yeah. And so there's a difference between what you're choosing as the most important priorities and how you state your contribution to society. And then, secondly, you know, how you, you know, protect and enshrine long term value creation in your business. Yeah. In the face of some very significant external trends, climate change being one of them. So some people will put it as a top priority, Uh some people will have it as, you know, as a a big and important trend that they've got to demonstrate, you know, that they're taking advantage of and b defending themselves against or vice versa. So I think it's perfectly okay to have a small number of SDGs. The question, whenever I see that done on a bit of paper is how deeply have you gone into those SDGs? Do you understand what they actually, you know, do you understand them at target level? Have you thought about the metrics? Have Mm -hmm. you really engaged your business in order to, change or, or to to have you really understood the impact that your business has on those SDGs and then how to optimize for it? Because it's not enough just to say, you know, have your business here on the left, have your scorecard of SDGs on the right and go tick, tick. Yep. Yeah, we contribute to that. We contribute. To, you know, we employ people. Oof, we contribute to wealth. Oh, you know, we promoted, you know, women to our board. Oh, you know, gender diversity, not enough, not good enough. So the question yeah. is, is what are you trying to achieve and how are you trying to do that? And the final point I'd make, is when you see those SDGs sort of ticked and crossed or, or whatever, you rarely see the negative impacts, and that's really important. So when people think about their impact on the world, they've got to think about the negative side as well. So if you're a food company, um, you know you're feeding the world. That's fantastic. You know that's a fantastic purpose. Fits nicely into the SDG framework. Awesome. But unfortunately, you're probably you know highly dependent on. You know, a farming supply chain, which is a massive use of nitrates, which Mm -hmm. is a huge, you know, has huge implications on biodiversity if it's not controlled and constrained properly. And so identifying and calling out that negative impact is important as well. So anyway, you know, many different points in your question, all good points. But I think, you know, choosing a small number of SDGs in itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. But, you know, you've got to go into deep thinking, deep reflection and deep work to make sure that you're going to have integrity when you do that and by that I mean making that the choice the the impact of choice you're trying to make and making sure your business is aligned to deliver that
1: yeah I like that I like that how you mentioned of um, also being aware of the negative impacts because especially if it's a brand of it's your favorite brand and you just want to see how well they are doing it's it's more like you're just trying to see oh i'm so glad they're doing something sustainable that something needs to be removed and i think people just needs to people need to look at situations just the way it is and probably then act upon it that's a good point thanks for that thought and um, yeah, oh, one thing is uh, so cool. I liked how you wear the badge. And I think s- since forever, you have been wanting to be the conversation starter. So with the badge, people ask you what an STG is and something that you're trying to do with the walk as well. I see that you have a diverse uh, team on your walk. I mean, you have six different people. How did you go about bringing them together? What's the story behind it?
0: So it was, um, it was it was sort of partially serendipity because I guess what, you know, in something like this, it's a, um, it's a relative. If you start long enough before the walk itself, then people get excited about the concept without worrying too much about the physical activity. So, you know, to begin <laughs> with, you know, there were quite a few people. There were, um, you know, friends and colleagues. Um, and, but then even as we began to put the walk together, so two of our walkers, So Hung Nguyen um, um, from Vietnam, who's worked for the BBC, and Rick Casale, who um, uh, was the founder of uh, Carbon Copy. Um, So, you know, both of those walkers I really encountered as I was trying to put the walk together. So I was put in touch with Hung because, you know, he's a media expert. I was put in touch with Rick because he's a fellow of the RSA and he's deeply involved in sustainability. So as we got talking, they were like, oh, can I join? And so, you know, yes, they got added to the to the mix of six. So three of the six I, I knew before and who are colleagues or friends um, who I knew would be interested, and then two of the six are people I've met as I began to set it up. And, you know, we've had people come and go. So of the six, you know, we probably started out with a slightly different mix, but I think for the last two months, we've had the same six. Um so, yeah, I'm delighted to have, have that team. Um, as you say, you know, different shapes, sizes, backgrounds, origins, sources. Um, and that's a good thing. So very, very happy. And I think everybody brings something slightly different.
1: Absolutely. I'm so looking forward to hear your stories from the walk because nothing nothing connects people more than walking and trekking and just... I'm a sucker for conversations, and I think that that proves, by the way, I'm conducting the podcast. So I, I am looking forward to your stories. Towards the end of the 26 days, what impact do you plan to achieve, or how do you envision this project to take shape?
0: So, so I think that the the most important, I think, is is the engagement that you have during the walk.
1: Mm -hmm. so
0: um you know as i as i talked about the one-to-one conversations the events etc and i think and and then pushing those messages and those stories and the inspiration we receive pushing that out onto social media um using the the walk on cop 26 as a sort of point in time for a bit of urgency and and so i think the most important thing is the engagement we deliver during the walk so that that is critical but what we do want to do is on the back of the stories we've collected, the conversations we've had, the events we've managed, you know we do want to collect that as a source of a rich source of information um we want to collect that in um, a film and we also want to write a report on the back of it as well so I think you know we'll we'll do the war we'll have the engagement during the war that'll crescendo into two events in Glasgow, which we're very much looking forward to, but we would also like to then not just stop it there, but actually then use the questionnaires that have been filled in on the website, the conversations, the events, everything we've learned, and then create that as a, if you like, a, an additional um, source of of education, engagement, inspiration for those wanting to get involved in climate. So that that's how we want to put a full stop on it. But, you know, hopefully it isn't a full stop. Hopefully it leads to other things. Hopefully it, yeah, the people we engage, and we ourselves actually, you know, find ourselves additionally inspired by this, and move on to, you know, double, triple, quadruple the
1: impact we're having. Yeah, I hope so too. I hope the ripple just keeps getting bigger, and it will. All the best for that. And so, with that, we are reaching towards the end of our uh, podcast episode. So, I want to ask you, how can our listeners join your mission or contribute to your mission? And where can they so, reach out to you?
0: Okay, so a few different ways. So thank you for asking. So a few different ways. Um, so we have a website, and that website is www.walk2, two is a number, cop26, 26 is a number.com. Um, and on that website, there's a few ways of engaging. So one is to uh, pledge an action. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned, through Cancer Sim. so you could do that. Um, the second one is you might have a very strong story that you want to share, in which case you could have that story published if that's an initiative by a carbon copy that I mentioned already. So that's another way. Um, the third is to fill in the questionnaire that we've got. And so you could fill that questionnaire yourselves and that would contribute to this sort of aggregate aggregate data. Um, there is a button there for fundraising. So we're still trying to raise a bit of funding for the film. So all the core expenses are covered by ourselves and by some key benefactors, but we've, we are trying to raise extra money for the film so you could contribute if you wanted to. Um, but to do additional ways to get involved, I think one is social media. So we've got an Instagram presence and, uh, again, what's got 26, um, we're on LinkedIn. Um, and so, you know, following that, pushing it out, challenging us, I think that would be great. And then finally, and arguably the most exciting way, is that what we are trying to do is on the last day of our walk, so that is the 1st of November, we have a 20-mile walk into Glasgow. And what we would love to do is to have groups, you know, small groups dotted around the world walking with us. And maybe because the time zones, maybe not exactly the same time, I think, you know, we could probably do it so at least we'd we'd overlap with people in India, for instance, um, or overlap with people in the US. But I think, you know, to have some shared time walking the same distance to get us all on Clubhouse, for instance, having that conversation, whether you're in South Africa, Tanzania, the US, India, whatever, I think would be a really uplifting, would be a fantastic yeah. thing to do. So keep an eye on the website for that. Um, Shri. obviously, I'm looking to you to organize the entire Indian <laughs> continent <laughs>
1: Show so that out. <laughs> I am excited to do that. I mean, when you said like joint work, yeah, it, it sounds fascinating and such a great cause to work for. I will add all the links of all the websites that you shared to my show notes, and I'm sure few of our listeners will initiate walks in their own areas, including me. <laughs> so we'll join you too on November first. So thank you so much, Sam, for joining us in this conversation and we wish you all the best for uh, your project and your journey.
0: Thank you, Shri, thank you so much. Great questions. Uh, love the work with the podcast um, and yeah, really, really you know stimulated to see more engagement, more climate action and So all power to to all your listeners as well in that regard. So thank you.
1: So what are you waiting for? Go ahead and pledge your climate action right now. The links to the project are available in the show notes. Do check it out. Hey, and I want you to know that your constant support has been encouraging. Thank you so much for taking out time and sharing your feedback. I would love to hear from you about how you are taking climate action. So would you write me an email? Or feel free to even send me a message on LinkedIn and Instagram. The links for all of these are available in the show notes. I'm seriously looking forward to your response. (laughs) Alright then, it's a wrap on this one and I shall see you soon in the next episode. Thank you so much.